So I want to start with the greatest modern Hebrew poet, Chaim Nachman Bialik, who had a very uneasy relationship in some ways with the Jewish tradition because he grew up very traditionally, had a hard time with it when he was a kid. And the story goes that he and two friends were once on the Sabbath in their home and they were smoking. And the Rebbe walked by and looked in the window and saw his three students smoking on the Sabbath. So he walked inside and the first student said, oh, Rebbe, I am so sorry, so stupid, I forgot that it was the Sabbath. And the second said, Rebbe, I'm so sorry, I'm so stupid. I, I, I honestly, for a moment, I forgot that you're not allowed to smoke on the Sabbath. And Bialik said, Rebbe, I am so sorry, I'm so stupid, I forgot to close the curtains. <laughs> and that story reminds us that there was a time when closing the curtains would give you privacy. It's not true anymore. Now everything is known. There's a publicness even to our privateness. You go on vacation and you show everybody your pictures. They go on Instagram. They go on Facebook. We live out loud. We want everyone to know everything and see everything and we tell everything. I remember a few years ago, I'm not saying this is why it went bankrupt, but it did go bankrupt when Barney's was still Barney's. They said in a big ad, we want people to talk about what you're wearing. We should be flamboyant and loud and dazzling. That's the ideal, as Jimmy Cagney used to say about acting, you serve it with a little relish. But that's not the Jewish model. On Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of Hannah, who went to the temple and prayed, and the high priest Eli thought she was drunk. Why? Because she was praying silently. She didn't scream her prayer so the whole world would hear. But her prayer was more powerful than those that were shouted from the rooftops. And I thought, how do the greatest religious figures that I have met in my life, that I have had the honor to meet, how do they hold themselves. The Pope, the Dalai Lama, Elie Wiesel, all of them share one characteristic. They don't say, hello, I'm a remarkable person. They all have a quiet at their center. They all have a sense of self-effacement and humility that is real, not assumed. I was struck when the Chief Justice gave his eulogy for Ruth Bader Ginsburg that he said the same thing that many people said, which is she was distinguished by her humility. This is not a quality in the modern world that most people cherish, this charisma of quietness. I remember several years ago that I heard Susan Cain lecture about her best-selling book, Quiet, about introverts, and how even though you may not be the loudest person, though you may stand at the side of the party, though you may be reserved and to yourself, you can have a great deal of power. And in the lecture and in the book, 
Who does she thank for this insight? Her grandfather, who was a rabbi. It doesn't mean, if you're quiet, that you're weak. And it doesn't mean, if you're humble, that you don't have self-worth. You know, the rabbis say that God gave the Torah at Sinai because Sinai is a small mountain and God wanted to teach humility. So the Kotzka Rebbe asked a very good question. He said, so if you want to teach humility, give the Torah in a valley. Why give it on a mountain at all? And his answer was that it's not humility if you think you're a valley. If you lack self-worth, you're not being humble. It's when you know you're a mountain and you are still humble. That's humility. When you believe you have something to contribute, but you also understand that you are a fragile and frail and easily misled human being. When you know that other people have things to teach you. When you are genuinely humble, and that humility, I think, is linked to gratitude. I don't know how many of you know the story of Cyrus Habib, but you should. He was eight years old when he lost his sight. But he graduated from Columbia and from Yale, and he became a Rhodes Scholar. And at 35, just a few years ago, he became the first Iranian-American to hold statewide office. And in April, he resigned his office as Lieutenant Governor of Washington to become a Jesuit priest. I read an interview with him, and when they asked him why, he said, because I felt like whatever you achieve in the world, all people ask you about is, what are you going to do next? As if, he said, the reward for eating pie was you get to eat more pie. But life is not about that endless treadmill, so I want to go and study and learn. And I thought, what does it mean for someone who has achieved such office in their late 30s to go and sit in a classroom with people much younger? It requires humility. An acknowledgement of gratitude for the gifts that he's been given. And he reminded me, since he had lost his sight and was still so filled with gratitude that there is a bracha, a blessing, that we say every morning about the body, maflila asot, God who does wonders, a blessing of gratitude for the functioning of the human body, and you know who wrote that blessing? Rav Sheshet in the Talmud, and he was blind. And yet he thanked God because gratitude and humility softness and quiet and appreciation, qualities that are not valued in a world of spiking the football and bragging about how wonderful and great everything is that you have done. Those qualities are really important. And I want to thank my colleague, Rabbi Daniel Pressman, because when we were discussing this, he led me to a book It's called Thanks a Thousand, A Journey of Gratitude by A.J. Jacobs. And you know what he decided to do? Jacobs decided he was going to thank everyone who was responsible for his morning cup of coffee. He began with a barista. And then 
the tasters, the cup makers, the roasters, the water system regulators, the shipping companies, the miners, the smelters. He ended up traveling by plane, by pickup truck, and by van to Bogota, Colombia, to the mountains to thank the roasters and the pickers and the growers. And by the time he was done, he had thanked over a thousand people, all of whom combined for his cup of coffee. As Mark Twain said, a self-made man is as likely as a self-laid egg. You can't do it yourself. It's true. There are people who are gifted and ambitious and do wonderful things in this world. No question about it. And we should be grateful for that. But when I walk out in the morning and the first prayer that I say, which is the first prayer our tradition teaches us to say, is ani lefanecha. I am grateful to you, God. I look around and I see buildings. Every building is a testament to cooperation. You don't build a building alone. Every street lamp, a proof of planning, every road and agreement, every market, an indication of mutuality. Every society, a chain of a million promises kept. If we didn't take care of each other, None of us would be here. I stand in a building I didn't build, in clothes I didn't make, with technology I didn't create. How can I not be grateful and humbled by it? And this idea that human beings aren't really like that, that they're really dog-eat-dog and that we're really all in competition and we should be yelling at each other and screaming at each other, it is a misconception of the way we really are. I remember in high school, I read a book that I actually even hated at the time, but now I hate more. It's by William Golding. It was called Lord of the Flies. And it's about, as you all know who read it in high school, it's about a group of kids on an island and they devastate each other because after all, says Golding, that's what people are like. But it's not. Because believe it or not, there was a real Lord of the Flies. Years later... Six kids from Tonga got lost in Atta, in an island, and they were there for over a year from September, from June of 65 to September of 66. And then they were discovered, and guess what? They had taken care of each other. They fed each other. When one was injured, they healed each other. They showed human beings have a spirit of gratitude and mutuality, not of anger and divisiveness and hate. It's not about I deserve. It's not about I shine. It's about I thank. That's Yom Kippur. We are supposed to remember that we are fragile and how much is given to us how much we depend on others to do whatever it is we wish to do, as the poet Paul Claudel said, for the flight of a single butterfly, an entire sky is needed. For the success of a single person, an entire society must be here. And so, 
we should be grateful. And the truly great, the truly great, are grateful. I started with a story about the greatest Hebrew poet, so let me tell you, as I come to the conclusion, a story about the greatest Hebrew novelist, Shai Agnon. In 1966, the same year, by the way, that those kids were being rescued from the island, in 1966, Agnon and Nellie Sachs, a poet, won the Nobel Prize. And it was a huge event that an Israeli writer in Hebrew won the highest honor for literature. And so, as you can imagine, Agnon was flooded with press. And one of them said to him, we want to see you at your desk. We want to see you write something. Get a real shot of the writer at work. So Agnon, kippah on his head as it always was, because he was a religious man sat at his desk, and he wrote something. And then they all left, but one of the journalists had the presence of mind to go and look at the desk and see what did this man, who just won the highest honor that humanity has to bestow on a writer, what did he write at the moment of his triumph? And on Agnon's desk was Adam Yesodome Afar Vesofovle Afar. A man's beginning is dust, and his end is dust. In other words, at that moment, he wasn't boasting. He was humble. He was grateful. That's the religious attitude. On Yom Kippur, we remember our life is fleeting. Our gifts are frail. We should be grateful. We should feel humbled. Moses is, in our tradition, the most important human being who ever lived, and yet, in the Torah, what does it say about Moses? It doesn't call Moses the smartest person, the most charismatic person. No. It says, Moshe anav ma'od mikal adam. Moses was more humble than any man who ever lived. Moses understood because he was so close to God how small he was. That humility does not discourage us from doing good. It just discourages us from belittling others. It doesn't make us weak. Because remember that bullying and cruelty, that is the weakness of those who don't have character. But when you actually understand who we are, then you live your life, as Wordsworth said, was the best portion of a good life. The little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and of love. Yom Kippur is to return us to our souls, not so we think less of ourselves, 
but so we think of ourselves less. We think of others more. We care more. We love more. We don't have to announce to the world how great we are. Let the world decide. What we need to do is to elevate our souls, to seek goodness, to try to live those little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and of love. It is that, after all, that gets us written in the book of life.